Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week we heard the wonderful and familiar ancient hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as we sang that, we sang of some of the names of Jesus. Also last week we heard some names for Jesus uh, in, in in our readings. And perhaps more hiddenly, We also heard today some names for Jesus, which we will soon discover. It is fitting during Advent to sing and pray to our Emmanuel for him to come. We are about to celebrate his coming in the flesh. We want him to come to us today through the word of Christ and through the sacraments of holy baptism and also, of course, through the Lord's Supper. And we are certainly praying that our Lord Jesus will come back quickly. Just as Jesus came to fulfill his Father's will by taking away the sins of the world as he shed his innocent blood for us on the cross, so also we want Jesus to return and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. We want Jesus to come and to end all of this madness that we see all around us because we want him to come and make everything perfect again. Of course, though, he has not yet come back for his second coming. As I have pointed out recently, God is far more patient than we are. Given that he has not yet come back means that he is still in his divine patience and forbearance, waiting for the appointed time. He knows what he is doing. And he will certainly fulfill his promise to come back. So during Advent, we not only pray and sing for Jesus to come, but we also call him our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then, fulfilling the scriptures... It is recorded in Matthew that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So throughout the scriptures, when people realized that they were in the presence of God, they would be filled with fear. And now we're singing that he is our Emmanuel, God with us. Were people filled with great fear when they recognized that their Emmanuel was present when God was in their presence? Quite often not. You can see many of the miracles. People brought people to Jesus so that they could be healed by him. But there were times where people were filled with fear. For example, Peter. After he caught the great catch of fish and realized that before him was not some ordinary man, but Jesus who is the Christ, Peter got down before Jesus on his knees and said some rather shocking words. Not, oh, Lord and God, like Thomas said, but instead, depart from me, for I am a sinful a man of unclean lips. A sinful man, O oh Lord. And so when we ask for our Emmanuel to be God with us, we are to be like those who approach Jesus, recognizing that he has come in human flesh, That he is not God unveiled. 
but by coming in human flesh, it means that people can come before his presence and live. When we pray for Jesus to be our Emmanuel, we are praying that he would be in our presence, not to bring about death, but to give us life. Jesus did not come to destroy the world, but to save it. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to bring salvation to, to all who call upon him. And so we pray that Jesus would continue to come and make his home among us, he who is the bread of life. He did that in a very special way among the Israelites after they fled Egypt. Last week, we heard God's call to Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. We heard that Christ Jesus spoke to Moses in that burning bush. We heard Jesus call himself, I am, just as God identified himself to Moses as I am. And now today, we fast forward. They have now left Egypt. A whole year has gone by in which they had left Egypt. And God is fulfilling his promise and, and, and is delivering them out of Egypt into the promised land. They are on their journey. Now, just 10 days ago from today, not talking about from the events that we heard in the Old Testament, the Christian church celebrated a new church year. In our Old Testament reading, you can also see that they were beginning a new year. It was the first month in the second year on the first day of the month. The first year, of course, was the beginning of that time in which they fled Egypt. Now they are in the first month of their second year. By this point, they are encamped at Mount Sinai as they had been for quite some time. And they are preparing for their second annual Passover celebration. This is what they do at the beginning of their new year for the Israelites. During that first month, they do their preparations in order to celebrate the Passover feast. Something that God's people were commanded to do, and they continued to do so until Christ instituted the Lord's Supper when he ate the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And so here they are. They're getting ready for the Passover celebration. And the Passover itself, if you recall, first occurred when the people of Israel were in Egypt. They were to take a lamb or a goat that was unblemished. They were to kill it. They were to eat it. But before doing so, they would sprinkle the blood of the animal on their doorposts. Through this, God brought about the tenth plague to strike the Egyptians, and the firstborn in each household among the Egyptians died. The angel did that. And when the angel would see the blood on the doorposts of the Israelites, he would pass over those people so that they would live. That was the first Passover. Now the Israelites are at Mount Sinai. They're about to celebrate as God had commanded them to do the Passover. By this point, they had also received the Ten Commandments and the Book of Covenant. And they were also commanded to take an offering to build a traveling house for God. God gave Moses the blueprints that they were to fulfill, that they were to, that they were to do. And so they got to work. As you heard in our reading, the tabernacle was erected. 
and a tent was spread over the tabernacle. The testimony, that is the Ten Commandments, was placed in the ark, and they, and the, and, and they set the mercy seat above the ark. The ark was not that giant boat in the days of Noah, but this ark was essentially a box. It was a holy box to uh, symbolize the presence of God. And in it, they housed the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses on those two tablets of stone, along with Aaron's budding rod and a golden jar with manna in it. And that served as the presence of God among the Israelites, that, the, that truly God was Emmanuel, God with them. And this was all by God's design. Every single detail that went into all of that construction of the, of the tabernacle had a purpose. It not only taught the Israelites, and also should teach us, that God has very specific requirements on how he would have us worship him and what God considers to be good, but it also reveals to us our Savior, Jesus. The tabernacle accompanied the people of Israel all the way to the Promised Land until Solomon built the temple. Jesus described himself as a temple made without hands. And as we heard in our reading today from John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is literally the word referring to Jesus, who is the word, who was God, who existed from eternity in the beginning was the word. So the word Jesus became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He, he, he dwelt among us. So the word literally uses that word tabernacle, that Jesus by dwelling among us, he tabernacled among us. That Jesus became human flesh at his incarnation. He made his dwelling among us. He is, after all, our Emmanuel, God with us. You also heard me describe, and you heard from our reading from Exodus chapter 20, the mercy seat. And that refers to the physical covering of the, of the, of the ark, in Romans, St. Paul uses a Greek word for mercy seat when he refers to Jesus. In our English translation, that word, that Greek word for mercy seat, uh, comes, uh, comes into the English as propitiation, uh, uh, one who offers a sacrifice for us. Listen to the words from Scripture, from Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And that again is the Greek word for mercy seat, that propitiation. And that is a name that Paul is using here as Jesus. So we, you know, we all deserve death for our sins, but Jesus covers us. He shed his innocent blood on our behalf as the wrath of God was upon him. And so this means that Jesus is our true mercy seat. He is our propitiator, and he is the one who covers us, our covering. So those are some additional names for Jesus. Recall also the word of the psalmist. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And that is what Jesus does for us. We are truly blessed that Jesus has covered our sin and that he has made our dwelling among us. 
The second paragraph in today's Old Testament reading addresses a cloud. The cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It was the most remarkable way, a visible way for them to see that God had come into their presence, that God was actually dwelling among them. He was tabernacling among them. And throughout their journeys in the wilderness over the course of those 40 years, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would travel. That cloud was taken up. Same language as when Jesus ascended into heaven. He was taken up and received into a cloud. But when the cloud was not taken up, the people of Israel would not travel. And then also the cloud was on the tabernacle by day, but as Moses reports, there was fire by night. Through this, the Israelites could see for themselves the very presence of God, that he was among them, dwelling among them, and veiled behind the Holy of Holies sat the Ark of the Testimony, also that presence of God. This presence of God, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is none other than the presence of God the Son. And Jesus, who was present through these amazing ways among the Israelites, as they made their way toward the promised land, took up a more permanent residence when he became man. Because as you know, we no longer have that tabernacle, and even the temple, which was intended to be more permanent, also was destroyed. But what remains is the temple of our Lord's body, which, as he said, destroy it, and in three days he will rise, raise it up, which is what happened. Jesus was crucified. He, he died on the cross, and on the third day he rose from the grave. And what we have now is something that is permanent, that Jesus took up his residence in human flesh, he is now inseparably united to his human nature. His divine nature is united to his human nature. So he always will remain from that point forward, from his incarnation forward, both God and man. And so we rejoice that he has become our Emmanuel, God with us, who has tabernacled among us and who has taken up his dwelling in human flesh. He continues to be our Savior, the God-man, our Lord Christ. Jesus was present among the Israelites throughout their entire journey and even as they settled into the promised land. We take comfort in knowing that that same Christ is present among us as we wander through this wilderness of the fallen world and as he comes to us through his word and through the sacraments. And what he is doing as he meets us in his word and sacraments is he is leading us to our promised land, the new Jerusalem, our heavenly home. This all means that we have a very personal and a present God. In an age in which people are increasingly being isolated from one another, this is quite comforting. In this life, we are receiving less human and personal contact. We are having more contact virtually and, of course, through much impersonal media. But Jesus, however, does not come to us virtually. The Lord's Supper is not some sort of 
virtual presence of Christ, but that he is truly present in his body and his blood, we receive as we receive the bread and the wine. And that is also why Jesus uses water in baptism, so that something physical touches us as the word of God is applied to us, as it is spoken. God is at work. And so through Christ, we are no longer cut off from God, nor are we cut off from one another. Instead, we find in him perfect fellowship as he comes to us personally, and for that we rejoice. And therefore, we gather in God's house gladly. We hear his word. We take it in. We receive it. We feast on his body and blood, and we receive his gifts. In closing, I'd like to read to you a portion of scripture. This is from St. John's Revelation of Jesus Christ. This is in chapter, Revelation chapter 21. John records, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Therefore, come, O Emmanuel, come. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We continue by singing the canticle.